Collaboration is the hardest, most challenging, and the best thing you can do as a writer. I have had some of the best co-writes of my life and the worst co-writes of my life, <laughs> but all of them you end up making a friend out of. You connect with a person and you're working, you know what I mean? Welcome to Creative How, the podcast for curious creatives. Sean, today we've got Emma Klein, maybe best known for her performances on American Idol, but soon to be much better known for what she's about to do. Emma's a singer-songwriter, wise beyond her years, and you just get a sense she's destined for bigger things. So enjoy this episode and be inspired. All right, Jed, I'm excited. I hope you are. I am. We have Emma Klein on the show. Emma, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm excited. We're doing great. Um, so Emma, let's kind of start. This might be easy, might be tough, but why, how did you gravitate towards music? Yeah. Um, I feel like this is an answer that whenever people ask it to me, I feel like it might be cliche. I don't know, but I feel like I've just always known that I wanted to do music. Um, from like the age of four, I was just like singing songs around the house, whatever. And I would just see people singing on TV and knew I want to do that. So when I was six, I remember watching star search on TV with my mom and dad. And I was just like, I want to be on that stage, whatever. So my mom was like, well, like let's get you involved in musical theater, stuff like that. So that's kind of how I knew. I have not heard a reference to Star Search in a long time. I know. <laughs> I, I, I too am is so excited about that pool. Like, it makes I'm me feel like, younger because I'm not nearly your age. That's incredible. But yeah, we had it on TV and we were like, I like love Star Search. It was the original one. So when I was like super little, it would just be on our TV. So I was like. With Ed McMahon? Yeah, yeah. My God. <laughs> did they roll them out? This is crazy. <laughs> Whoa, easy like, fella. Um <laughs> So how did you, how did you develop your style and what do you think your style is? Yeah. Um, so growing up, I just always think back to like summertime in Maryland, um, being on the East coast, going to the beach a lot. Um, and I can just always remember like my parents doing cookouts and like always hearing John Mayer on the radio, um, like old country and also lots of Amy Winehouse Jason Mraz, Jack Johnson. So just kind of, um, a lot of elements of soul meets beachy meets jazzy. And, uh, that definitely shaped how I write and the kind of styles that I'm really interested in. So at what point did you layer on, um, instruments? So I started playing piano around the same time that I started singing. So when I was about seven or eight years old, I got involved in uh, piano lessons and I would do like recitals along with that. And, um, I should be much better at piano than I am because I didn't like to practice very much, but, uh, I got super involved in guitar in middle school. Um, and that really helped songwriting. And then I got my first ukulele in high school, um, which helped me write a whole different style altogether. So, um, yeah, piano, guitar, ukulele just sort of became my three main instruments. Actually the only instruments I know I said mate. <laughs> is, is there anything you're, uh, looking to add to the arsenal? Um, I have always wanted to be able to play 
um, like trumpet or sax. I took sax lessons for like when I was in fourth grade, like, like when you could join the band at school and it squeaked too much after like two weeks. So I quit. But, um, I always think it's so cool when I go see a show and somebody just like pulls out a trumpet or a sax and they just like do a crazy solo. I'm like, what? You can do that. So that's something I'd love to learn. Is there a lot of trumpet in like country and kind of hmm. soul music? I, I don't even. Definitely not. Yeah, that would be a unique. <laughs> like, yeah. like a scoff fusion. Kind of. Yes. No, maybe definitely more in a, in um like the soulful realm of things. Like a lot of my friends at Belmont um are very involved in like the soul um, scene in Nashville. So they play a lot of sax, trumpet, big band type stuff. Um, and that's really fun, but definitely not in the country music. That'd be cool though. <laughs> There's some arrangements that, do you listen to Sturgill Simpson at all? I do not listen to a lot of Sturgill Simpson, but I have heard of Sturgill Simpson. Okay. I'll leave it alone. You should. It's a recommendation. Okay. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned some of your influences when you were talking about your style. Do you recall albums or even individual tracks that you bought at your sort of youngest age? Yes. Um, I remember the first CD I ever got was, um, Shania Twain CD (laughs) and I had it in my actual CD player that I would like carry around with my headphones. Um, and I just remember listening to that all the time. And then, um, the earliest music that I remember listening to in the car with my family was probably again, John Mayer. Um, we listened to a lot of Michael Buble, Frank Sinatra, stuff like that. Was that because your, your parents listened to that or was it your request? Yeah. So, um, I, well, I loved them because they listened to them. I was like, Oh, I always love this. Um, but that was, yeah, my parents, my grandparents were huge Frank Sinatra fans. So especially around the holidays, we always like to pull that out, you know, but the first music that I sort of came into loving most of my own was definitely, I got very invested in country music and country radio. I got a karaoke machine with like all the country hits. And it's funny cause I wouldn't necessarily title myself as a country singer, but my roots are very much in that writing. Where, I guess, ideation wise, as you're writing and composing, what, what do you think you draw upon the most for your ideas? Um, so I had a songwriting class, um, at Belmont and one of my professors talked a lot about song stuff is what he labeled it as. And I'm huge into journaling. So when he said this, my ears kind of perked up and I really love this practice, but I just keep a journal of song stuff and, um, it's just constantly happening all around you in conversations. Um, like when I'm at work, I'm a server. I hear so many interesting conversations. So if I hear a phrase that I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I'll like go write that down. I always have voice memos running. Um, so I just like to keep a big list of, of ideas that I can pull out at any co-write or just when I'm in the mood to write. But then also definitely like personal experiences, I pull from those frequently too. Is there a, like a, I guess a type of tone that you just find yourself gravitating to as a person? Like, is it happier or sad or like, what do yeah. you think that emotion is that's your biggest draw? I find myself listening to music that is, happier mood, um, better vibes, I guess. And then when I am writing songs, it's funny because my friends are always like, Oh, I almost got the sad girl vibes. (laughs) Like whenever I get up to play, they're like, okay, we're going to cry. So, um, I definitely like to write the songs that hit your hard. And I love, there's nothing like a song that has a hook to me that will get you crying. Like, I just think that that's so powerful when a song can do that. Um, 
But as far as moods are concerned, I think that whether or not it's happy or sad, um, like acoustic, organic, raw is like the sound that I really love whenever I'm listening or whenever I'm going to production, I guess. I think this might be a tough one because I'm going to ask you to think back to specific notes you might have taken, but I just really like the idea of journaling and the fact yeah. that you um, maybe learned a little bit about that in college because the, the, you know, the show is all about kind of teaching people new ways to do things. And that's just a really interesting idea. Do you remember any specific things or notes that you took that did turn into songs or even just individual lyrics in songs? Yeah. So I was at, um, I was in an acapella group in high school and I remember, um, we were traveling for a competition and I had like a huge crush on somebody in the group. And I remember being at his family's house cause we were all there for the competition weekend. And I remember there was like coffee in the middle and it was just like this poetic thing. Like he was like behind the coffee. And I just like was, I, some, I like will hear the poetic thing sometimes. I'm like, Oh, I need to find my journal. So I, at that time in my life was journaling three pages of stream of conscious thoughts every morning. And that's something that was really life-changing for me. And I can talk more about that later. But um, so I immediately, when I went to go journal that day, wrote like coffee talk, impatient eyes. And those were like the first few words I wrote. And that turned into one of my favorite songs. And my first release when I was going under the name of Emma Kleinberg. And it's not on Spotify any longer, but um, I might move it to SoundCloud. But anyways that to me is one of my most special songs and it's really cool to go back to that exact page and know where it started. So yeah, it's really cool. I love it. And it's funny cause you just mentioned, um, releasing of songs and congratulations this week. Call it what it is. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I find myself humming it, <laughs> um, around the house, making my daughter's breakfast. <laughs> it's very, it's very a catchy. Sticky one. It is Thank very you. St- that's great. That's great. It's sticky. You're absolutely <laughs> right. But it's not like you're seeing anybody else, and I'm not looking much myself. Can we just call it what it is? Everyone knows it's obvious, but you How do you, how do you feel that reflects you now in your current state of songwriting and and who you are as an artist? Um, I think that for me, that song, that was funny because the other day I found the voice memo when I first had that idea too. I'll just have voice memos running in the car when I'm driving because that's when I like to find my ideas flowing. So I was like just in the car and I just said the sentence first, like you call me up again. And then I just like started with a, you, that like little beginning part. I think that's so cool. Why don't we listen to one of those voice memos? You call me up, you, you, you call me up again. I'll say for just being my friend. You're getting too close for comfort. That's great. And that was the first time that it ever happened. And then you can just like every voice memo, like the next 20 voice memos were just continuations off of that. So, um, so that song to me is really cool because I can like, physically find where it began. Um, but to me, that song is definitely like the most happy feeling song that I have written. Um, and even though it's like sassy and fun, 
and like kind of call somebody out. It's also just like windows down, driving in the car. And I really love that about that song. That's why I wanted it to be the first single um, because I just think it sets an awesome tone. I love that you call it sassy. I was actually looking for a word this morning to describe the honesty and the straightforwardness. And uh-huh. sassy should have been on the tip of my yeah, tongue with definitely. what I'm going through <laughs> with, with with my own sassiness as uh, the nine-year-olds in my house. But uh, so, <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't come up with it. But are, was just so I know, time frame wise was that written post-idol or pre-idol? So I had written that song and the song was already fully produced before Idol. But um, I wanted to wait until after the experience, see what happens before releasing it. Smart. That's definitely smart. Cool. Do you, did you go back and sort of, it, maybe you learned some things during the idle process. Did you reserve the right to kind of go back and tweak some things? Um, I was so happy with the production. Honestly, the guy that I had worked with, I say this all the time. His name's Quinn Redmond. Um, he is an awesome producer in Nashville and like, he is the type of person that pays so much attention to detail that by the first time you hear the cut, you're like, I mean, we need to tweak one thing, you know, and I had never had that experience working with someone before. Um, it had been such a long process for us, but a really fun one that by the time it was done, I was like, I feel confident. So when idol was finished and it came time to releasing, I was just excited to get it out there. Honestly. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I think, maybe we can sort of shift a little bit into some things that you've done to become an amazing sort of live performer for starting first with sort of development of your voice and your sound specifically as it relates to performance, not, not in studio and um, mm-hmm. sort of big productions like that, but rather on stage. So your persona, your voice and your sound, how have you developed that? Um, I will say that musical theater was the most helpful thing for me growing up. I had a lot of issues with, self-confidence when it came to, um, how other people were looking at me when I was on stage, I was always so self-conscious. Um, when it, but I, it was ironic cause I went to high school for musical theater. I like chose my high school based off of their program. Um, and after four years of being there, um, constantly being led and directed by some of my favorite people still on just being myself and being comfortable on stage, um, that really helped. And honestly, going for musical theater, that's so challenging because you have to like step into the role of somebody else. But like when I'm writing, when I'm singing a song that I've written, I'm just stepping into like the most vulnerable parts of myself. And even though it can be a little bit more scary at times, um, I just think that it's one of those things. My, my teacher told me this freshman year, whenever you feel like taking a step back, take a step forward, literally like physically while you're singing And it's, but I follow that also as far as self-consciousness is concerned. Like the minute that I don't feel like being vulnerable, I just make the choice immediately to be like, nope, I'm going to step into this. And that's been the best advice I've gotten as far as performance is concerned and dealing with nervousness and stuff like that. That's great. That's great advice. Uh, Talk about the nerves, I guess, on a night in, night out basis. Are they... Yeah. Still there? Are they somewhat subsided based on just what you've gone through in the last six months? Um, it's so funny because nerves are such an unpredictable thing for me. I will find myself feeling most nervous. And I've heard a lot of people say this when I'm around my peers and around my family more so than when I'm in a huge crowd. And I think that it almost has to do with the fact that like when I see a big crowd in front of me, I I can make that decision to step forward and 
not see the reaction on everyone's faces at the same time. But um, there's just something so encouraging when you can make a specific connection in an audience of that magnitude. And then it feels like even if there's a couple people that are like not paying attention, um, the few people that you've made connections with, it feels like the entirety of the crowd is like there with you. Whereas if it's in a classroom setting, like a lot of this we did at Belmont, I would get most nervous for my classes um, that we had that were specifically meant for critiquing. So you'd sing and then your class, your classmates would raise their hands and be like, Oh, like do this, do this, do this. So that was nerve wracking. Um, but honestly, after year three of doing that, you sort of just start to say like, I am who I am and I'm only going to grow from the criticism. Um, so the nerves are just a feeling that I can kind of choose to push away. So that's kind right. of nice. <laughs> It's that was a, a very long answer. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it's kind of reflecting again. We've talked to some musicians on this podcast and Kiko Laro for, for one, um, when he's playing to 40,000 people in a stadium, he says the same thing. Like, I think, uh, he spent, <laughs> it was amazing. Cause we, our whole brains were spinning for all the things he listed that he had to think about versus and, and only one of them being playing the music. Mm-hmm. The rest were like, I got to connect with the photographer right. over here. I can connect, make eye contact over here. I yep. got to make sure my tech knows that I'm feeling what's what's happening and or he needs to turn something up or down. He listed off like 10 things. We were like, oh my God, don't, yeah, can't you just play the song and then everything takes care of itself? And he's like, no, it's like, yeah. so I, I don't know if, if, as you've gotten into these larger productions, are you experiencing a little bit of uh, like sensory overload? from where it was more just acoustic and you're, you know, a smaller set? Yeah. Um, well, as far as the crowd is concerned, when I am, if you give me a microphone and a stage, I feel like I can thrive. I'm like, all right, let's do this. I'm here to like make some friends tonight on this stage. It's going to be great. But uh, something I just recently started doing was playing keys for Bobby Bones, who was the mentor on Idol. And it's been amazing. But at the first show we played, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to read a chart and play keys and sing background vocals and have a great time with the people on here, notice the photographer, and at the same time, like connect with these people in front of me. And just like, there's a, this thing called Nashville number system that, that they use here in Nashville to like read the charts. And it's like, it's, it's like sheet music, except instead of notes, it's just numbers. It can be on one piece of paper. It's great, convenient, awesome but I've never had to be the one reading the charts. And so that has been a great challenge for me. Um, very growing, (laughs) but it's just been, yeah, I'm like sitting there counting in my head. I'm like, we're in the key of C and I have to get to number four. That must be F. So it's just like something that instrumentalists are so accustomed to at this point in in town, I'm just learning. So that's been a challenge uh, for sure. So you've talked a little bit about handling nerves. You talked about um, the sensory overload possibilities just now, but also yeah. in terms of connecting to the audience, I'm interested to know if if it's all natural and you just have an amazing performance because of X, Y, Z, or whether you're really intentionally trying to sort of connect to the people. Yeah. Um, I have found about myself that like I, the intention behind most of what I do in life, not just as far as performance is, but just in how I live my life is I really strive for human connection. And my biggest fear is like breaking human connection. I hate 
being disagreeable, which is something that I clearly have to work on as I get older, like learning how to say no, stuff like that. Or just learning to say, for instance, like, oh no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then go and learn, you know what I mean? Like things like that. I hate, um, losing any form of connection with people. So for me, performing is this awesome outlet because it's okay for me to like be driven with that intention behind everything. Like when I see a person that isn't really involved, it is my goal by the end of the song. Like I want to look at you and I want you to feel seen and I want me to feel seen and I want it to be this great thing we can do together. Like I think that the best shows I've ever seen, I leave afterwards and I'm like, Oh, I loved when the bass player, you know, threw me that pick or like looked at me or they sang the words to me. Like, I just think that that's the best part of performing so, um, not only human connection with the audience, but connection with the band. Um, I could never just play with a track for, for life. And that was honestly one of the challenges with idol was that I didn't know whether or not I was allowed to like, you know, connect as much with the band, um, at that time in the competition, which they like were able to do further as the stages went on. Cause I'm all about like, let's sing together. Let's, you know, I don't know. I love collaboration. So connecting with audience um, and the band alike, just so it's all equally important right. to me. So what, what song do you like to play that embodies all these great things that you love about performing? What is the one song? It can be yours. It can be somebody else's. Is there one that it just does all those things for you? Yeah, there's, um, there's a couple. So, um, I love singing gravity by John Mayer. There's, um, this version that I heard by Yeba. Um, she is an incredible artist and, when I heard that, I was just shaken. I was like, that was incredible. So I sang that. Um, and the song just suddenly like took on new meaning to me when I heard her version. So I did kind of like a, a cover of her cover. So whenever I sing that song, I feel super embodied and like, um, present and able to connect with people. And then one of my songs, um, off my mind is one that I will be releasing here in the next um, couple months too, which I'm excited about. But that's another one of those songs for me where whenever I play it, that's the song my friends are like, play it, I want to cry. <laughs> when I'm performing that song, I can notice that the people around me are taken back to a place in time um, specific to them at the same time that I'm taken back to the memories that led me to write the song. And it's really cool because I feel like all of us at once are going different places, but at the same time. And we can all just like share that moment together. And that's really special to me when I sing that song. Amazing. That's awesome. Now we know from Idol that your idyllic setting is the beach to play. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but is there a specific venue in a specific town, city, whatever that, that you really have your eye on that you'll know you'd be like, man, I'm, I think this thing has momentum or I've made it. Is there a place like yeah. that? Yeah. Honestly, I feel like I wish that there was a place. I wish that there was one place that I was like, when I've been there, I've made it. But honestly, I could play beach concerts for the rest of my life. Um, somewhere that I love going to see shows when I'm back home, just because it's like home to me is Meriwether Post Pavilion. I love going to see shows there. So it would be awesome to play one there one day and have people singing my words back to me just because it's like, that's home, you know? So that's a, that's a goal of mine, I think. Um, but other than that, I feel like you cannot predict a single thing. Like I couldn't have imagined I'd be where I am right now last year, or like five months ago. So like, I don't really have one specific place. I'm like, I need to play there and then I'll know I've made it. Um, I'm just like really excited to see what happens or, or where it takes me, you know? 
What's your What's your favorite show you've ever seen at Merriweather? Just curious. Um, Jack Johnson. Okay, that's a perfect <laughs> yes. spot for him. Yes. Oh man, yes. Merriweather is great. It was um, Lake Street Dive open for him, and Jack Johnson played. Okay. Do you guys listen to Lake Street Dive at all? I have, I have, but only if, yeah. I think only a few songs. Okay, they're great, and um, that was one of my favorite concerts I've seen there. I also saw Wiz Khalifa and Fall Out Boy there, and that was an interesting combination. It's good for that too. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's open yes. air. You know. Uh huh. Thank God for the open air. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's helpful for performance too, for some people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, <laughs> for some people. Yeah. <laughs> So transitioning into idol a little bit. Well, I think if you're listening to this, you obviously have some idea of what Emma's about and what she's been referring to in the last six months of, of how her life's changed. But Emma, for, for those people living under a rock, what have you been doing the last six months? Yeah. So the last six months have been crazy and so exciting and a whirlwind um, to sum it up in three words. But uh, I was on American Idol and I made it to the top 40. Um, but then nobody knew about it for a month. So I just had to pretend like I didn't know about it for a month. And then I finally, like, you know, I just kept things in motion, um, was preparing artwork and all this stuff for when I knew I was going to release my single. And then finally Idol was coming back and everybody was like, you're going to win. And I was like, I won't, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> so then, um, I, yes, yeah, so all that aired and, um, the response has been really incredible. And then I released this song and now I've been playing piano, which is not my strongest instrument by any means for Bobby Bones. And that's been also incredible. So a lot of exciting things. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, well, I told Sean before this, this isn't on the list of, of the outline, but I asked my daughter what she would want to ask you. And she said she wanted to know what the judges were really like. And if you got to sort of like interact with them, uh, aside from them evaluating you? Yeah. Um, it's hard because they are so busy. Um, like while you're present on set, you know, there's a million things going on, but when the cameras would stop rolling, they would talk to us just as people. Um, especially Lionel Richie would give a lot of advice to us. Um, cameras would stop rolling. He'd turn around, he'd be like, all right, this is a masterclass. Like, let's talk this. And he would just kind of go off on a tangent and just give us so much golden free advice. <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> Luke Bryan, super, super friendly, personable person. Um, Katy Perry, definitely the hardest judge for me to read. Um, but I have a good friend, Walker Burroughs, who made it to top eight. Um, he's in my acapella group at Belmont. And I got to go see him live a couple weeks ago. And after the show was over, all the judges we're leaving. And Katie came up to me. She was like, how are you? How's your brother? And I was like, thank you so much for remembering. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, they're all people. That's the best way I can describe it. Like everyone's a person at the end of the day. And, um, I always say this about myself, but no matter where you go, you take your body with you. You know what I mean? Like you're still a human, you still get headaches. You're still tired when you want to be awake like you're still not a hundred percent when you want to be so badly sometimes. And I think it's important to recognize that about other people too. And especially people you look up to so much and put on a pedestal sometimes, you know, like they take their bodies with them. They have bad days, good days. Um, but they were really, really great people and gave some awesome advice to all of us. Really. Now, when you didn't 
when they informed you, you didn't make the cut, that it was kind of a little unceremonious. It was just like, ah, you don't have it. See ya for TV audiences. Now, right. when the cameras went off, were they more constructive than that off camera? They were honestly not because they were on such a tight schedule. I mean, they just cut people or send people through back to back to back in the like blazing hot sun for five hours. And so right before it was my turn, they took like a quick two minute break. So I'm just like sitting there twiddling my thumbs, like what's going to happen. And, um, I went up and I was honestly confused because in my first audition I'd had, Katie said, um, you know, I can tell that you are, um, experienced at performing. And when I was getting cut, she had asked me, have you had experience performing? And it was one of those moments where I was like, huh? Like, wait, what? So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I just reminded her, I was like, yeah, I remember like I've done theater. I've done this. She was like, right, right, right. But it was one of those moments for me where I was like, I have to just remember their people. Like they are dealing, like dealing with 40 different people right now. Um, they're not going to remember every specific moment, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so I think that I also felt an overwhelming peace right away. As soon as they said that I wasn't going through to the next round, there was a part of me that really wanted a little bit more, um, criticism. Um, but at the same time I was like, you know what? I feel ready. I feel good. I think that I came, I saw, I conquered and, um, I'm just like excited for what happens next was kind of my mindset. I mean, your attitude's incredible. Like really. Thank you. It it uh, is inspiring. And it's part of what, you know, when we first started watching, obviously we love that you were kind of a, a local person that, you know, from, from our town, but, but also next level in terms of the grace, I, I think I told you when we first reached out, just impressed Thank us you. so much. Um, and far beyond no offense, your years, it seems just like Thanks. you have such a great head on your shoulders and you have just these otherworldly perspectives that I don't know that I have. Um, <laughs> and, and I, yeah, and I don't know that I'd be approaching a lot of this stuff with the, with the grace that you are. So kudos to you. I hope you keep that up and I hope, uh, you know, whatever you're going to go you. through, cause you're going to go through a lot. I'm sure, um, that you can kind of keep just this, this sort of, uh, you know, uh, directness, but honesty and approachability, I think it is. Yeah. And I mean, thank you so much with that in mind. What, what is your mindset? right after the show ends and what, when do you start establishing new goals? Like how did that work? Yeah. Um, well, thank you. First of all, that was really kind. Um, I, as soon as the show ended, I was in this weird in between for sure. Um, but I've experienced, I feel like a lot of in-betweens this past year, um, especially things like between family and graduating and, Um, you know, like in the same year, I, this like crazy family tragedy. And then I graduated from college and then I like got a job and then I, you know what I like all these crazy highs and lows. So when I came off of idol, I was like, it's, it was weird because idol in, in one way was very grounding because it was a thing that all I could put all my eggs into that basket when I was there. But at the same time, I was always aware that it was an in-between phase because I knew it wasn't going to be forever either. You know, there's going to be another season. There's going to be, you know, I just had like that perspective about it. So when it ended, I was like, I a little bit more, um, I guess embodied is like a big word. I always say again, because I numb out big time. Like when I am overwhelmed, I will just like leave my body sometimes for like a day, like just numb out TV, eating, whatever. I'm like, just going to chill, which is also healthy for an extended time. I just like read some great books watch some great shows, 
cried a little bit and then picked myself up. You know what I mean? Like, and that was great. Um, but like shortly thereafter, I was really relieved once they started airing everything on TV, especially once they aired me getting cut, I felt like I could finally, like I was back on the ground. I was like, okay, like now everybody knows I can announce things. And at that point I had already known Bobby had already reached out to me and asked me to play for him. Um, and that was the craziest experience, like the biggest God moment in Hawaii. He came up to me and said, Hey, if you ever get cut, um, let me know I'm in Nashville. We could do some stuff together. And I was like, okay, cool. So I got cut and I DM him on Instagram and I'm like, no way he's going to see this. Like he's probably got, he's flooded with DMs. I go on a hike the next day and I literally run into him in the parking lot of the lake that I was hiking around. Wow. And he just rolls down his window. He's like, Emma. I was like, Bobby. (laughs) And I was like, I DM'd you on Instagram. I was like, let's get coffee, talk about music, whatever. He was like, um, yeah, I'll DM you right now. So he did. And then he got it cleared with idols legal. And then he just like put things into motion immediately. And I played a show with him like three weeks later. So that was crazy. Um, I got to believe that not every contestant gets such an awesome safety net or consolation prize, I guess we call it. (laughs) I mean, just like an opportunity. I, I feel like I would have entered a competition to one, like feel the reward of love that my family has felt from this Two gone to Hawaii period (laughs) three, like sung for three icons and then four sing with Bobby. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't even, it was never about idol. And that's what I said. As soon as I said, I was going to try out, I was like, it's not about idol. It's not about what people think of you. It's not about even what you get out of it. Like, what can I get? But like, there's a story to be told that is bigger than you. And there are things to be done that are bigger than you. So like, just trust the process. And I did. And like, things have been happening. And that's really, really awesome. Emma, this has been fantastic so far. I think Jed's going to agree. Um, so we want to kind of hop to our show promise right now, which is uh, the creative house. And I think yours are going to be amazing. So what those are, are the top three to four things that, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast is and is is inspired by what you're saying wants to take those first steps to becoming a singer songwriter what are those things they can do when they turn off this podcast immediately yeah so i um am so happy that you guys asked me to do this and um i love that you guys do this segment because i spend a lot of time thinking about creativity just as a whole um so i think that there are there are like millions of things i could say but um first thing i would say is think like a writer um And to me, that means notice the song stuff. And that comes in the mundane, everyday things. Um, And within that little pocket, I would say, like, get yourself a journal. um, Keep a notes tab open. Always have your voice memos running. Like, just know that, that things are happening all the time around you. And it's our job as writers and creatives to just kind of notice those things. Like, I'll go to a coffee shop sometimes for hours and just sit and listen to the conversation behind me. Um, the other week I was at the restaurant job that I have and somebody said, like, I left my heart at the Metro station. And I was like, that was like, it, it wasn't like said so poetically, but I just, I heard it from like 20 feet away and I wrote it down in my, um, checkbook at work and I came back home and I like started to put a melody behind it. So just like always have your ears open, perked up. Um, another big thing with that, with that thinking like a writer, um, goes along with object writing and journaling. I'll pick an object, say it's like 
I don't know, um, the wind and I'll set a timer for 10 minutes and I'll write about the wind and it includes all the sensory images. So like the touch, the sight, the sound, the smell, um, the taste. And then also on top of that, like how your body feels like on a roller coaster when like your stomach does the flippy thing, like trying to find ways to explain the wind in all of those ways. I don't know. That's just like, even if it's not going to go into a song, you got to get that stuff out. I just think that like, there are literally songs in the wind and like, we just have to like grab them. And if you're not going to do it, someone else is going to do it sort of a thing. And then also a big thing, um, on comparison, uh, this would be, I guess my second point, even though my first point was like 20 points, um, (laughs) um, on comparison, especially when it comes to writing in Nashville, everyone says the reason we live in Nashville is because it's all about the song, you know, make it about the song. And the people behind the song are so important and special and unique. And just because someone is good, it doesn't make you any less good. So like, just know that. Um, So like when I see another artist or songwriter, I'm like, what do I like about them? And rather than feel like jealous or defeated, I'm like, okay, what can they teach me from what they're doing? How can I grow from their work? Um, And that's been very life-changing for me as a songwriter to be able to say like, wow, I love their writing style. Or I don't love their writing style, but for whatever reason, it's working. So like, how can I learn from that? You know? Um, And then another thing is kind of going off of that. Collaboration is the hardest, most challenging, and the best thing you can do as a writer. Um, I have a huge tendency, tendency, I had a huge tendency to be very selfish with my writing when I started. I wanted to be the writer I didn't want to share it. I was like, no, this is my song. This is my experience. Um, and I want to share it with people and have them be like, wow, what you did is cool. And that was my, my very small way of thinking um, as a freshman in college and in high school and stuff. But um, now, four years later, I have had some of the best co-writes of my life and the worst co-writes of my life. <laughs> but all of them, you end up making a friend out of. You connect with a person. And you're working, you know what I mean? Um, when I brought Call It What It Is to the guy that produced it, uh, Quinn Redmond, um, he had all these ideas that initially I was so afraid to adjust and change because I was like, oh my gosh, this song is so close to me. It's like my baby. But um, if I hadn't listened to his critiques and like changed it together, like that song, that project is now ours and that makes it more beautiful, not less beautiful. And, um, it is, yeah, now looking back on it, listening to it, when I hear the parts that he came up with, the song wouldn't even remotely be the same without what he did when he touched it too. So I just wanted to touch on that. Um, I have this thing where creativity is shared. And so when I'm, when I'm writing down a poem or just thoughts, I'm like, this thought came from the book I read the other day. Wow. Like, I wonder if the author of that book got this thought from this person. And it all like literally goes back in time and it like goes back to one thing. And I don't know, like maybe that's just like, I just had that thought one night. I was like, Oh my gosh, like it's a shared thing. It's a shared energy. Um, so with that being said, I think that magic happens when, when you share your creativity with the people around you. Um, vulnerability is the most important part of that too. Um, if you aren't being vulnerable in your writing, then, you're doing yourself and the people listening such, um, a disservice, honestly, like you don't cry when you hear a song because 
it almost makes you think of something um, or because it feels safe. You cry because you're like, holy shit, someone had the guts to say that. And I resonate with that in the darkest part of my mind, you know? So that's, that's huge for me. Um, and all of those really streamed out of the book that I read my freshman year of college called the artist's way. And I don't know if y'all have heard of that before. Um, I'm sure it's like such a big creative book, but that I, I think somebody's so. actually mentioned that a previous yeah. guest. Yeah. 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 That like, that's where I started writing three pages of stream of conscious thoughts a day. Yeah. And, um, you get to like one week, I was like, what are five other like passions you have as a creative? And I was like photography, even though I don't have a camera and I'm not good at it. And then I was like, just be that for the week. So like all week I was just like taking pictures of squirrels and trees and like, they were <laughs> terrible, but it's just like, there is an artist child or like, so you can call it like just this, this source of energy like let that be free. Um, and don't like keep it sucked inside. Like if you have a crazy thought, like share it on, on paper, share it with a person. Like, um, anybody can honestly do this. Like people will say, Oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. And I'm like, no, you do. Like you're just not being vulnerable with yourself yet. But once you're there, like anything can pop, like anything can happen. Truly. Those were great. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. And I feel like the letting your guard down thing is a hard thing for a lot of people to, to do, uh, yeah. whether they're professional creatives or whether they're just like people who you said don't think they're creative. That's really a, a great point. I love the point about just because they're good doesn't make you any yeah. less good. I mean, I think that just unlocks yeah. for any creative in any industry. There's, there's, there's jealousy, right? So I think it just diffuses all of that. That that's so mm -hmm. cool and profound. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also wanted to add to, um, I don't know if it's like Michelangelo that said this, but I always think about, um, the quote that talks about, he would see the, the marble and he would like already see the art in it. Like it was just his job to carve it out, even though it was already, already in existence, I guess. And that's kind of the same way I think about songwriting. Like it's already there. It's just your job to carve it out. And sometimes it's going to be just your responsibility to do that. But like, there have been multiple times where I cannot finish the song and do it justice without coming to someone else for help. And that's, it. or had an experience, like patience is huge. Like wait a year, maybe you needed to get broken up with, like maybe you needed to get fired from your job and then you can finish the song. Like you just, you know, you don't know what you need to that finish cool. it. Yeah. Right. Well, Hey, how are you going to define success? Maybe a year from now, five years from now, what's, what's the end goal here? Yeah. Um, I love that you guys asked this question because that's like so foundational to me. Um, the intention that drives everything is like how I define success, I guess, um, is what we were talking about earlier. Like how I connect to people, as long as I'm connecting with people, traveling, have enough money for food <laughs> and, um, and like writing music and playing out like that is success to me. Um, and I have never in my life grown because I've been comfortable so success is not comfortable. It is not easy. And it is not, um, always like a good feeling. You know what I mean? Like success is actually just like challenging yourself. Like I just want to be growing every day and meeting awesome people and challenging myself and working, um, with other incre incredible creatives. Um, yeah. So that's success to me. I needed this today. Yeah, I did. Yeah. This, is, this was amazing. I didn't know I needed it, but I did. Whoa. This is one of those times when I feel like I, I, I'm like, 
I should be a pretty major expert at some of this stuff, but you've definitely reminded me of some things that I've forgotten. So I really appreciate it. Wow. Well, that makes me really happy here. Thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. We know you're really, really busy. Oh, no, this is like the most fun thing I've done all day, truly, like in the, all week, honestly. Great. <laughs> like, all right. This is awesome. So thank you. Well, we're going to feel better about ourselves having heard that. That's true. <laughs> well, um, we're going to keep watching. You got some fans back home here. Um, as I know, there's a, a ton of fans back here in, in Maryland for you, uh, cheering you on. And, and I think we're all excited to hear those next drops. And, yeah. uh, you know, just continuing to be amazed about how you're handling all the great things that are happening. Thank you so much. So tell everybody one last thing where they can find you on various uh, platforms. So you guys can find me at Instagram. Um, it's at I'm Emma Klein. Um, and then there is my Facebook, which is Emma Klein Music. And then Twitter is also I'm Emma Klein Although I am scarcely on Twitter, unless you just want to see retweets about Game of Thrones theories. Um, that's pretty much all you're going to get. <laughs> I mean, that could have been an entire outline by itself. Because Sean and I go. are both Game of Thrones fans. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, just like erase everything. And now let's just like do a new podcast on Game of Thrones. We might have to do a second episode. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> we have to do a B-side. Yeah, right? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so stay tuned for a Creative How Game of Thrones edition with Emma yep. Klein. I was going to say though, in all seriousness, you're probably going to have a podcast of your own at some point because you're a natural and you Thank could you. do an episode I, about Game of Thrones. I could. That is so encouraging that you say that because I... Like I listen to so many podcasts, it's insane. So like when you guys reached out to me, I was pumped. But I also am so encouraged that you said that because I've always thought about starting a podcast. So thank you, you for saying that. When you have a chance between traveling and, and yeah. connecting with people, you can do a podcast. You can also do hey, it on your phone with voice memos. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I'll just compile all of my weird voice memos and just like send it. Bingo. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This has meant so much to me and like I really appreciate it. You could really learn something interesting from literally every portion of what we talked about with Emma. And I think like the creative house were almost a cherry on top. You've got a job ahead of you kind of writing all this stuff up in terms of the notes and things, because people are really going to use this episode as something of uh, like a template. I would think I am going to use it as a template. Yeah, me too. It was awesome. I know my daughters might. Um, We can, we can help the next generation and we can help our, our generation as well, Sean. As always, we hope you're inspired. Let us know in the comments and smashing likes. As always, find us Creative How Pod on Instagram and Twitter, but also show notes on creativehowpodcast.com. Get after it, guys. Hey, Jed, did you hear our kick-ass intro music? Shockingly, that's out of our technical wheelhouse here at Creative How. That type of sick sound design is a White Noise Lab original. White Noise Lab is a music composition and sound design studio that works with agencies, production companies, and brands on projects for film, broadcasts, interactive websites, corporate videos, video games, and experimental projects. The chances that that movie trailer you just saw on you know, YouTube, that's probably a White Noise Lab original more often than not. 
So whether you're looking to fulfill your sound design needs or simply need someone to collaborate with on an experimental project or maybe an experimental podcast, check out whitenoiselab.com. That's whitenoiselab.com.